So last week we talked about Jesus the rabbi and the ways that Jesus is called a king. And that took us through the first century and the third century. And this week we're going to zoom way ahead about 800 years to about 1100 or so. And we're going to be talking about theories of atonement. And atonement here is just a word to describe how God and humanity are made one, how they're brought back into right relationship with each other. And it's a word that's usually used to describe what happens over the three days from Good Friday to Easter. So how do those three days, the death and resurrection of Christ, how does that actually change anything? So what is the cross a symbol of? Why do we put it all in our sanctuaries? What function does it actually serve? So one of the most influential ways this has been thought about was by a man named Gustav Arlain. And Arlain was a Lutheran bishop in Sweden around World War II. And he wrote a book that was important that was called Christus Victor. And the basic argument that the book made is that people have thought about the atonement in three basic ways, three kind of theories of the atonement. And one of those ways he calls Christus Victor, which he says is the oldest and the best way. The second is called Anselmian, and the third is called the moral influence theory. So how does Christus Victor work and what does it tell us about God? Alain's argument is that in the early church, the most common belief about how the atonement worked was that in becoming human, God puts God's self at risk of being wronged or falling victim to the forces of sin and evil. So in the cross, God dies because of those forces. But then in the resurrection, God triumphs over those forces and shows God's self to be stronger than them. So Jesus puts himself under them and then overthrows them. One kind of crass early image that was used to describe this was that evil was like a fish that swallowed Jesus because it saw his human nature. And then it was impaled on his divinity and had to throw him back up along with all those he had called to himself. So it's not the best image, obviously, but the point is that Jesus undergoes death and then overthrows it and renders it powerless. A better image is a 10th century icon that's on view at the Met that shows a crucifixion scene. And if you look down at the very bottom of the cross, you can see Hades, the god of the underworld, impaled by the foot of the cross. It's graphic, but it gets the point across, and there's no fish throwing up. The assumption behind Christus Victor is that the problem that humans face is that we're under the control of some power, call it sin, evil, death, the devil, or whatever you want, and we're, we're unable to get out of their control. So Jesus comes alongside us to take them on and remove them. So the cross is a symbol of God's fight, struggle, or battle against evil. As Bach St. John Passion puts it, Lo, Judah's lion wins with might, and now victorious ends the fight, quote, it is finished. But Anselm of Canterbury, who lived around 1100, saw a flaw in that story. And the flaw was that the story didn't deal with the grievances that humans had committed. God, in Anselm's view, can't be responsible for humans running amok and committing all kinds of evil acts, because it would make God's creation unright. So humans have to pay God back for all the harm they did. But humans are unable to repay God what they owe, since it's an infinite offense that they've caused. So God becomes human and dies to repay God for all the harm that humans have done. What's interesting about Amsalm's theory is that it depends largely on the context in which he lived. 
The idea of satisfaction or repaying debts or working off punishment was a common idea in the Catholic theology when he was alive. And it was also what gave rise to the sale of indulgences, which is why we have the Lutheran Reformation. Indulgences, remember, didn't forgive sin. They got rid of the penance you had to do to make up for the wrong that you had committed. So this is a very medieval idea that depends on the kind of feudal environment that Anselm lived in. The other thing that's interesting is that Anselm's idea of satisfaction is extremely popular among many American evangelicals. But over time, his idea of satisfaction spun out of control until it turned into something else entirely called substitutional atonement or penal atonement. That's P-E-N-A-L. Substitutional atonement says that the cross is a punishment that would have fallen on us, but Jesus takes our place. This is a really bad idea about the atonement because it says that God is angry and that God has to punish humans. And it's also not what Anselm is getting at. Anselm doesn't have any punishment in his view of the cross. Instead, the cross is how God takes the consequences of evil into God's own life so that we can be in right relationship. So if you don't like Anselm, and there are plenty of reasons not to, that's fine. But it's a little strange to ascribe the idea of divine punishment to him. The problem, at least to me, of where Anselm starts to unravel and why it's so easy to misread him is why is it the death of Jesus that's able to make satisfaction? Why does the death of Jesus have any use to God? The third and final theory of atonement is called the moral influence theory. And it was first developed by someone named Peter Abelard around the same time Anselm was alive. It was developed in part as a critique of Anselm's theory. And the basic idea of the moral influence theory was that the other two theories didn't actually involve people. In Christus Victor, the cross is a battle. In Anselm, it's a transaction. But it's something that you watch. It's something that kind of floats over your head. So Abelard came up with a theory that emphasized the, sub the subjective side of the atonement, how Christ's death inspires us to greater service and gratitude. When we see how much God loves us by undergoing death, we are able to love other people correctly. So the atonement happens not 2,000 years ago, but it happens when we live in gratitude for what God has done in Jesus. This theory is later picked up and used by liberation theologians from the global south who are skeptical of theories like Anselm's that rely on Western context. So which of these theories is right? The answer is probably all of them to some extent. It's better to think of these not as mutually exclusive theories to contrast with each other, but as little, little colors on a palette that come together to create something bigger than themselves. The cross can't be contained by a single theory. What the theories of the atonement do is give us a vocabulary to talk about how it is that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are redemptive. Something that can't just be explained or exhausted by one theory we came up with.